Coming to you live from Point Place, Wisconsin. It is the Hand Plus Podcast brought to you by Movie Change Up. As always, I'm your host, Joe Fricky, with my co-host, Tristan Mayer. Tristan, I'm going to ask you the question I ask you every week. How is your streaming? How was streaming this week? Uh, pretty uh, pretty sick week, Joe. I did. I watched a lot of 90s movies, a lot of uh, 90s show. You know, I got myself into the 90s show mood by going back and not necessarily new stuff, but I had a good time watching some old 90s movies and it kind of got me in the mood for a 90s binge. So I wasn't quite watching new stuff this week. There was a couple of new things that dropped that we'll talk about, but it was kind of a light week for me in new drops, but I had a good time watching some old stuff and yeah, Last of Us is still good. 90 show, we'll have a good conversation about that, I'm sure. So, yeah, I can't wait to hear how your week was, Joe. Did you watch anything fun? Anything new or interesting this week? Uh, I watched a few, couple things new and interesting. I think it's going to be a lighter content heavy or lighter content week, and this is going to be a much more, I feel like, a news-centric week, along with a few movies and shows that we watch. But, yeah, I definitely feel it be very much more news-heavy rather than content-heavy. But I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, we can kick it off with The Last of Us, a show I've still yet to watch. There was a show I spent my weekend binging, and we will talk about that when we get to a different streaming service. And let me let me start off. Let me rewind a little bit. Uh, if you haven't watched our show before, I assume a lot of people that are watching this or listening to this have. But if you haven't, you just checked us out. You scrolled past us on YouTube a number of times, and you're like, hey, let me check out and see what this is. Every week, I and uh, my co-host Tristan, we break down this week in streaming. We talk about movie shows, we talk about news, we talk about trailers, uh, everything to do with streaming. We talk about, hey, you should we we watch this, you should watch this, or hey, we watch this and you should completely avoid it because it sucks. And we kind of let people know, hey, who is this for? Hey, if you're if you got a kid, this is a good show to watch with your kids, or maybe this is a show that you should wait to watch after the kids go to bed. And we just kind of keep try to keep people informed and updated on uh, the world of streaming. And let's kick it off with the show of, in streaming people are probably talking about the most this week. And that is HBO Max's, the, well, HBO's The Last of Us, uh, based on the best-selling video game, what many regard as one of the best video games of all time. It stars Pedro Pascal. And uh, Tristan, like I said, I've still yet to watch this show. I need to watch it. Uh, but you watched this most recent episode. Is it is 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 the episode two just as good as episode one? Is it starting to fall off? Is this the show with an all time great pilot with just a horrible episode two? Where are we at? What are we thinking? I'm gonna say uh, before I even talk about the quality of the episode, I want to talk for a second about the viewership of the show because the yeah, first episode was a too. pretty huge hit for HBO Max. I don't know the exact uh, numbers, but it was I think like their second biggest original series debut under House of the Dragon for yep. HBO Max. So that's a pretty big hit for them, you know, especially because House of the Dragon, sure, it's like an original first season show, but it's still coming off of a huge, massively popular IP that arguably is bigger than The Last of Us. I would say Game of Thrones. People would know Game of Thrones more than The Last of Us on the street, you know, so I think this is more of a new IP, so it's cool that it's becoming a big hit. And the second episode had huge growth, too. According to HBO, it was one of their biggest second episode growths also. So yeah, I, I think got- it's also... Uh, if you have the numbers, go ahead and fill yeah, me in. I don't, I don't have the numbers for the first episode, but The Last of Us, it was the second biggest premiere in over 10 years, number one being House of the Dragon, and it had 5.7 million viewers for episode two, which is a 22% increase uh, since episode one, and that 22% increase going from episode one to episode two is the largest increase in HBO history. 
Yeah, and I think it's a really great sign. I, ho- I hope that it means they're going to renew the show. It's not going to be one of those big, expensive projects that HBO just lets get fallen off on the radar. They're like, oh, it's just too expensive. And we'd rather write it off on our taxes than make finish out that story, you know? And uh, I'm glad that the viewership went up because I honestly thought the second episode was an improvement over the first. The first one does a good job of, like, introducing the characters in the world, but you can tell that they have a, b- a couple of bumps to go over, you know? They're like, okay, we got to bring this character in and that character in, we got to do like this scene from the game, kind of exactly like the scene from the game. We got to do this scene, kind of like the scene from the game. And it was fun to see it, but I think this episode, they get a chance to be a more, a little bit more creative, a little bit more ambitious. And it's still doing moments from the game, but it's able to do it in a much more creative way in a scarier way. And do that. The first episode was a bit slow, a bit hard to drag you, grab your attention. This episode is much more action paced, much more about like, the world outside of the safe zone, right? Because the last episode is all about, we have this quarantine zone, but you wouldn't believe how gnarly and terrible it is outside of this quarantine zone, you know? And this shows you what that gnarly, terrible life is outside of this quarantine zone. And it gives you a look at the new take on the infected, a really, really cool version of a zombie. You know, it's nothing like a Romero zombie. It's nothing like a 28 days, weeks later zombie. It it totally feels like a new version of of an infection that's like this big singular fungus you know mind hive that's kind of enrapturing this whole area you know it's not even it's not even like the the zombies in the games in a way it's a, it's a very interesting changes so yeah i'm liking it so far the second episode definitely much more action oriented much more exciting so if you thought the first one was a bit of a, a slog this one will capture you a lot more and i think going forward it's going to be a much uh, more stable show here because the first episode had some production bumps it was originally going to be two episodes that they kind of decided to change it up, make it one episode. So you can see some of the bumps there and I hope it's ironing it out here because next week from what I've heard is going to be a really interesting kind of bottle episode. So if you like stuff like the Bad Batch was last week where it's not really about the Bad Batch, it's about like a tertiary character and their experiences. I think from what I've been seeing, episode three is going to be like that. So it'll be a really interesting uh, way to dive into a character who is a very minor, minor character in the game that it seems like they're going to give like a whole hour long episode to. That'll be fun to see. So I'm loving it so far. Joe, I can't wait to see what you think going in. I know you started the first episode, didn't really capture your, your yeah. brain too quickly. So I'm, I'm hoping that the second episode might get you a little more because it's more of the post-apocalyptic, more of the zombie action stuff that you might be expecting from the show. Yeah, I couldn't really get into it watching episode one, but I, it's not really a fault of the show. It was late on Sunday evening. I was kind of tired. It was like 730. I was more mentally checked out. I was more in just like a relax and stare at my phone mood. And I was like, I'm just not in the headspace to start watching this right now. And then I paused it and I realized that that episode, first episode was an hour and 20 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay attention to this. So I just kind of stopped. And I said, when I'm in a more acceptable and ready mood to watch this, I will definitely uh, check it out. Yeah, I think that's something that's going to hold this show, potentially hold it back or make it a big hit is that I don't know if you know about this show, but there actually was a pandemic in real life uh, pretty what? recently. Uh, no. Uh, what? Wait, uh, like a pan- like in, in real life? Like, Yeah, it's actually not fictional. It was a real thing that happened uh, in our lives very recently. So I'm, I'm really curious what the appetite is. You know, like, do people want to watch a very dire, depressing show that's dealing with questions that are pretty direct to our experiences? You know, the first episode has a cold open about this a woman, a scientist in Indonesia just a couple of days before the outbreak who learns about this outbreak that's coming and she's trying to tell the people of the city oh this outbreak could destroy literally the whole species we have to nuke this city to to contain this virus and they kind of deal with the ethical dilemma of like are we going to destroy this city on the risk of maybe what this virus could be without any proof of what it, it, it will be you know and 
I think that's an interesting question, something that was totally unique to the show and not present in the game at all. So I think they're doing interesting jobs of injecting kind of the, the current questions and a lot of the thematic question that's going on below the surface. It's not just about Joel and Ellie and their adventure. They're having these little outskirts. The first episode had the opening sequence in the news station that was uniquely to this show and not part of the game. They're giving these little injections of, of new story that I think are adding some really cool flavor to this. And I can't wait to see it as they go along, like do these cold opens continue to be new information rather than like game information. Is that going to be where they drop in like the more heavy new changes compared to like the actual plot of Joel and Ellie being pretty similar so far to what the game is? Yeah. Could be interesting. I like a good cold open. It reminds me of uh, um, Breaking Bad where they would have, especially like the season premieres have these cold opens that give you kind of a little bit of background information. Yeah, I love a cold open. Nothing like a cut to the credits, you know? You're like, oh, man, we're in we're in for an episode. Here we go. Yeah. All right, yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking that out. Hopefully, you know, I, I'm only working a half day this week. i got something going on in the afternoon, so maybe I'll have time in the evening to uh, check it out. Uh, you ready to move on to some other HBO Max topics? I'm ready. Where are we going, Joe? All right, probably nothing you care too much about, but I just thought I'd release this information. Uh, Gossip Girl... The revival has been canceled at HBO Max after season two. So any Gossip Girl, you know, any fans of the Gossip Girl revival, kind of weird that they brought it back after only being off the air for like five or six years. Uh, I mean, it was a massive hit at the time, but it was I don't think it was like a continuation. I think it was like a full-on reboot. So I can't imagine too many fans were like excited just for a reboot of a show that just ended seven, eight years before. Yeah, my brother was a big Gossip Girl fan. I watched a good amount of that show with him, like over his shoulder when I was over visiting or whatever, so there's some episodes. And he, as a huge fan of the original show, was not at all into this revival. You know, he watched a couple episodes of the first season and said it's it's like Gossip Girl, but it's, you know, it's not really the same characters. I think there's like one or two characters that cross over or something like that, but it doesn't feel the same. He wasn't a big fan of it. So, yeah, I'm sad for fans, I guess, you know, but I, I don't know anyone who was a fan, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, and some other news. Uh, we've, I've talked before a little bit about how I think the world of streaming is going to completely change uh, the world of sports. You have NFL is moving Sunday ticket next season from DirecTV to YouTube TV. Uh, Apple TV Plus is having Friday Night Baseball. And now on HBO Max, you're able to stream uh, U.S. Women's National Team soccer games on HBO Max. So uh, I think pretty much every streaming service has a live aspect at this point. I know Dancing with the Stars was live on Disney+. Plus. They also had that live Elton John concert. Uh, Netflix uh, was doing uh, a Joel McHale show live at one point. I know later on this year they're doing... Chris Rock is releasing a live special. He's recording it and broadcasting it live. Um, Amazon Prime has Thursday Night Football. And so now HBO Max is joining the live broadcasting uh, game as well so curious to see how everything works for them i know they broadcast the first game i believe it was saturday i didn't hear any reviews of how that broadcast went how the stream looked anything like that but uh, i think it's interesting I'm, I, that sports yeah, is a, to streaming it's definitely interesting because sports is the first one to kind of break that live barrier of uh stuff on streaming platforms but it's not gonna be the last you know I'm, the oscars are nominations coming out tomorrow morning actually so uh I could see the next ceremony, a ceremony after that, you know, being alive on Disney Plus. I could see a few of the big award shows being live on Disney Plus. I could also see, you know, Netflix is doing their live comedy shows. We know Netflix gets kind of experimental with stuff like Kaleidoscope and 
Bandersnatch? Are they going to try some weird, crazy, like, live gimmick to try and get people to watch some, like, 24-hour live Netflix show that you can only watch once or something like that? You know, what are, what are they going to do to make this interesting? Because it's, it's cool, of course, you're going to get live sports. I know that's one of the biggest barriers to dropping cable is you don't want to lose the sports, you know? So that's cool, too. But my brain goes to, like, what kind of crazy dumb things are they going to do with this live feature to try and get me to sign up and watch it you know give me some crazy kaleidoscope season two is all live you know you got to watch this heist live it actually happens you know there's a live heist in new york city you watch it on tv yeah that'd be cool uh you know what i was gonna i wanted to mention something but uh let's just move over to netflix now and i'll talk about it then um unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about when it comes to live uh, no, I just hope they bring back the Sunday ticket commercial. You know, I want the I want to sing the song again. You know, yeah, I can understand that. Um, so let's move over to Netflix and talk about uh, one of the big shows on streaming this weekend. Released ten episodes, and that is the continuation of that '70s show, and that is that '90s show. Uh, they released that '80s show back in the day, and the premise of that was it was a completely different cast. I think it was even a completely different world. Um, but just like that 70s show was set in the 80s, this was set in the 80s, and now that 90s show is in the 90s. However, it is about the next generation. It is about uh, Eric and Donna's kid moving from Chicago to live with uh, her grand, her their daughter Leia, of course, as Eric was a big Star Wars fan. Their daughter Leia, uh, right around her 15th birthday, moving in with Red and Kitty uh, for the summer and running into... Uh, Kelso and uh, I'm blanking on her name, and that is horrible. But you know, you got she's running into some Kelso Jackie, family. Jackie, right? Jackie, yeah, yes. As I watched that '70s show a lot in high school and in middle school, and I can't believe I blanked on her name. But yeah, you know, Kelso and Jackie's son, and it was I think it was a very solid continuation. I watched all ten episodes. I believe you have as well. Uh, it wasn't perfect. I believe a lot of the complaints I've seen online were complaints you could also throw at that 70s show. Uh, but I think if you were a fan of that 70s show, it's definitely worth checking out. If you haven't seen that 70s show, uh, it's, I think, one of the better sitcoms, uh, especially of its time period. And uh, definitely worth checking out. But what were your kind of general thoughts on that 90s show before we delve deeper into it? Yeah, I, we didn't even include this on our last episode where we talked about like the upcoming streaming stuff that we were so excited for. Because for me, I, I watched the trailer and I thought this is surely going to be terrible. You know, it gives me big like Fuller House energy where they're like, oh, we're going to bring back the cast for like these really like forced emotional moments that are going to be like really scripty and, and like it's going to be really cheesy and feel like the exact same show, but like exaggerate all the worst parts. You know, I felt like Fuller House felt almost like a parody of Full House as you were watching it, and this feels like a continuation of the 70s show it feels like you know the show is off the air for a couple of decades and then it just came back on for a new episode now it it doesn't feel like it's being like ironic about itself you know i feel like some of these revival shows feel like they have to be tongue-in-cheek and like make fun of the fact that they're just like the original show because they're like so insecure about the fact that they're doing the same thing over again and i feel like this show did a good job of just picking up where it left off and it, it, it did i like that it brought back the original characters but not in huge roles either it gave it away for the main cast to shine and not feel like you were sitting there every episode waiting for like when's the next character from the other show going to show up you know it gave them a chance to build up these characters and if they do get to season two i i think that they will give a more more of a spotlight to the older characters especially if they get a bigger budget and they can maybe pay 
some of the actors a bit more money who have had bigger careers. You know, Ashton Kutcher, Mia Kunis, even Topher Grace, like they're not going to show up for like a, a long running episode, a long running series like this. But if you give them a bit of more money, maybe 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 they will, you know. So I liked it. I think it was not a, a perfect show. But if, you have, if you're a fan of the show, that 70s show, but if, also if you're a fan of just like 90s nostalgia, I think you'll get a fun, a fun time out of this. You know, if you've watched some episodes here and there of 70s show, you're not like a big diehard fan. Like I, I didn't watch every episode, but I, I saw random episodes when they were on TV, you know, and I got everything the show is putting down. You know, I don't know all the character arcs and everything else from the previous show, but I was still able to get everything the show was going for and love some of the 90s nostalgia. I hope next season, though, they're more attention to detail on the 90s stuff, you know, because there are some moments where I was like, OK, well, the show takes place in what, like 1992 or whatever. 95. Why are they 95, why are they in a video store with a poster from a movie that came out in 1997 behind them? And why are there movies, you know, but those are little tiny things yeah. where it's like, they don't matter. But when you're making a nostalgia show about the 90s, I feel like you should, you should sweat those details a little bit. You know, make it feel like you went back, teleported to the 90s. And this feels like you're looking through like a kaleidoscope, a collage of like 90s memories, you know? And I think that's kind of the, the point. It almost feels like you're getting the memories of like a kid looking back these you know it's not quite what the 90s were it's like a little bit of a more wholesome more heartfelt version of the 90s but that's kind of what it feels like to look back on your childhood right it gives you that feeling of looking back on the good old days and remembering them more fondly than they maybe actually were you know so i liked it it was a good a fun heartfelt time and i really can't wait for more of it i hope they give a couple more seasons to this one yeah i really like it and one thing i said like the complaints you have about that 70s show is the or that 90s show is what people had about that 70s show like that was the thing as well and also part of that 70s show it started and it was supposed to start in 1975 that's when season one took place and the show ran for i believe eight seasons and it finished on december 31st 1979 so there were like six christmas episodes and things like that and Towards the end, it was more just an amalgamation of the 70s. Things didn't really flow or, you know, there wasn't a continuation. So things like, oh, that's movies from 1990 or it's set in 1995, but a poster in the background is from 1997 doesn't really bother me. But yeah, I thought the casting was really done. I liked all the characters. I like that there were certain characters that you could see were inspired by characters from that 70s show as far as the young generation, but there wasn't ever like a one-to-one uh, comparison like her best friend Gwen felt like a mix between Donna and Hyde and she wasn't like oh she's not like a purely Hyde ripoff or a purely like Donna copy and same with Jay Kelso he was he didn't feel like oh he's just exactly who his dad was it almost felt like he was trying to be an improved version of who his dad was and other characters didn't even seem like previous characters at all they just felt like their own thing the one complaint I had is that 70s show uh, had like a lot of iconic 70s char- like actors and people from the 70s appear in cameos and random episodes and I really felt like there was only one person um, from the 90s who had a cameo role in that I mean spoiler alert but it was Brian Austin Green and a small role but there were like roles here and there that I'm like oh that would have been perfect for like an iconic 90s actress or actor like uh, the hot tub lady, I thought, could have been someone like an iconic actress from the, someone like Jodie Foster or Michelle Pfeiffer, someone that you like think see and immediately think of the '90s. I think would have been like perfect, and I, that's my biggest complaint at the end of it is I wish they had more of that. Is more, and it would have made it feel more like that '70s show where they had those kind of like Leo was supposed to be played by uh, 
Tommy Chong was supposed to be just like this one episode cameo of like, hey, here's this iconic actor from the or iconic person from the 70s, but his character was so beloved, he became a recurring character and then, spoiler alert, appeared on a couple episodes of that 90s show. So I wish there was more of that. Yeah, I'm hoping that when they go to the second season, they'll be able to up the up the ante a bit, you know, bring in more of the 90s stuff, bring in more of the old cast, make it feel more like, mm-hmm. you know, that what you're talking about, like the the memories of the 90s, the collage yeah. of like all these different 90s things. And I, I saw them going for that here, but I, I wish they would have gone a little bit more in that direction. You know, I, I think about like how my mother, I imagine, was uh, similar, like inspired by that 70s show in the way that it has that like layered narrative. Of, like you're seeing like the story that he's telling. So it's not necessarily what really happened. And I think they're going for that here. You're seeing like the nostalgia of what yeah. happened in the 90s, maybe not what really happened. And I hope they lean more into that in season two. Yeah. And uh, to go back to our previous conversation, we were talking about live broadcasts. Uh, the revival of Roseanne slash the Connors has done this a few times where like once a season they have a live episode. Usually they'll pair it after like a big event like the Oscars or like the Super Bowl. It'll be like directly following. And I think it'd be really cool if like season two of if they if we have a season two of that 90s show, if at some point like during the weekend, maybe the finale or something or the premiere they record live and you know in front of an audience and it's a live broadcast show so you can watch the first episode live and then immediately after that first episode is done airing live you can then watch the subsequent pre-recorded episodes but i think that'd be kind of cool and fun and interesting and especially allow for like the big cameo where they pop on screen and everyone cheers and applauds and i think if you want to bring like everybody back i think that'd be the moment to bring everybody back yeah, that would be a really fun idea. I hope they do that now, especially now that they're experimenting with all the live stuff. You know, mm-hmm. a good, good, good connection there. I hope yeah. they, I hope they do something like that. Whether it's for this show or any kind of live sitcom, would be a really fun, nostalgic thing to do. Yeah, and how did you feel about uh, Kurtwood Smith and uh, Deborah Jo Rupp reviving their characters as uh, Kitty and Red, two, two of the most iconic TV parents of all time? Um, they were kind of the secondary leads behind the kids. It was great to see him again. I thought Deborah Jo Rupp was uh, more naturally back into her character than Kurtwood Smith was, but they both did a really great job by the end. I thought as you could see Kurtwood Smith slightly struggling to like get the last for the first couple episodes because I feel like he was trying to find the character, find the tone of the character again, especially like a dad that's that mean and rude to his kids. I don't know. It's funny in the 70s. Is it funny in the 2020s? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's still funny, but it's almost like it doesn't necessarily play as much as it would have played, you know, 20 years before it did, you know? So I was hoping that he'd, like, adapt his, his parenting to the 90s a bit more, you know, yeah. and see him, see him have, like, struggling with the new 90s, you know, woke culture, you know, it's so sensitive now in the 90s. I can't be saying the stuff I used to say. That yeah. could be kind of fun. Yeah. You know, I... But I liked them both. It's, I mean, yeah, I talk about iconic TV characters. They're some of the most iconic TV characters. And Deborah Jo Rupp, you know, every time I see her, it's, I see Kitty Foreman. Every time yeah. I see Kurtwood Smith, you know, I see Red Foreman. And when you think of that 70s show, you think of them before you even think of the kids. At least for me, I think of those two parents above yeah. anything else. So if you're going to bring anybody back, you're going to bring them back, right? Yeah. And, Kurt, and long before the That 90s Show was even, like, a thing that talked about, I can't remember what he was promoting, but I think it was on sh- some show on CBS or something, but someone asked uh, Kurtwood Smith, who his favorite actor to work with, and he says his all-time favorite scene partner is Deborah Jo Rupp, so it was kind of cool to see them back working together again, so. That yeah, was great. It was really nice to see him. Just in that first moment when they're in the kitchen together, you're like, wow, it's, it's, there they are, back together again. Yeah. All right. Anything else you got to say about That 90s Show? 
no, I'm looking forward to that uh, 1996 show coming, you know, next year. Definitely, definitely. And uh, some Netflix news. Uh, the part of the original Power Rangers lineup, they got some people from the original ser- like the original season one, and then they not everyone agreed to come back, so they brought in like oh the Red Ranger from season two and uh, the Pink Ranger from season three are coming back uh, for a 30th anniversary special on April 19th. It's going to be like a scripted thing. It's not just like a thing where everyone sits around and talks about their experience doing Power Rangers. It's actually going to be like a Power Rangers movie with some OG 1990s Power Rangers. I feel like if I was releasing a Power Rangers revival, I would not release it on 419. You know, I'd probably push it to one day, give it a give it a nice 420 drop. But uh yeah, it'll be fun. I watched Power Rangers a lot when I was a kid, so I'm definitely gonna watch this and have some nostalgic overload and uh, have a have a good little little time watching it. You know, I'm sure it's not gonna be great. It's probably gonna be a bunch of cheesy and one-liners and callbacks and stuff like that. But I'll have a good time with it. Yeah, I feel like all the things we were worried about with that '90s show is exactly what this is gonna be. But Power Rangers in itself is cheesy dumbness, so I think it works. Yeah, I think it's one of the only franchises where you bring it back and, like, I want it to be dumb. Like, I'm, I'm not wanting this to be a good movie, you know? If yeah. this is good, I'm going to be, like, let down. you got to give <laughs> me some shock here. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, uh, Cobra Kai. Have you, have you watched all of Cobra Kai that's been released? I have not. I'm, I'm, I think I've watched the first two seasons now, you know? And then I saw there were five of them, and I was, like, taking a breather. Got to okay. come back to that. All right. Well, Cobra Kai, it's officially announced that it is ending with season six, so... The show is going out on its own terms. I like that. And when I hear news like that, too, it makes me want to go back and binge the rest of the show, you know, because now I'm like, okay, there's an end point. I'm not going to be watching this for the rest of my life until it starts being terrible, you know, mm-hmm. and I can get through these next couple of seasons definitely by then. So I'm going to I'm going to catch up and we can watch that final season together. Joe, how do you feel about that? All right. Sounds good to me. And speaking of cancelizations and Netflix, uh, Netflix CEO Ted Sarandos uh, in an interview dropped a line that's caused a stir with some people and i want your thoughts on him because honestly i kind of agree with him he says we have never canceled a successful show a lot of these shows were well intended but talked to a very small audience on a very big budget the key to it is you have to be able to talk to a small audience on a small budget and a large audience at a large budget if you do that well you can do that forever i think that's a little bit I mean, he's right on the surface, but I think you have to look at, like, what is a successful show? You know, Netflix has changed the definition of success from a show that gets good reviews and people like to a show that gets a lot of views in the first three days of being uploaded. Otherwise, it sucks, you know, and I feel like they have to figure out a way to not just be like, okay, the viewer numbers were small. Let's give up on this show. They got to figure out a way to give a show a little bit of time, give you, give a show a couple of months to grow an audience and see how it goes before they drop the X. You know, I think about something like Sandman that to me fits that description. It was super, super expensive. The ratings were okay, but they were not great. And any mathematical calculation onto that show says they should have canceled it, but they let it, they let it hang for a little bit. The fandom kind of grew. All of a sudden there was a bit more passion to it. The numbers started to go up a little bit more and they said, you know what, let's give it another shot. Maybe season two won't be so expensive. Maybe it'll be a little bit of a cut down season, but we're going to give it another shot and see how it goes. And I think, I, I hope, I wish Netflix would do more of that sometimes yeah. because they do seem to be a jumpy, you know, talking about 1899 on the show. And I was like, Oh, it's so great. And then, you know, a week after it premiered, it's canceled. And it's like, you don't even have to give people time to promote the show. You know, you don't even give people time to watch shows like this. And we talk about it for a couple of weeks and people say, okay, fine. I'll watch it. You know, that's part of, I think TV is that growing word of mouth. 
you know, look at look at Last of Us and how between episode one and episode two, there was a boost, you know, in viewership. And I think Netflix is hurting themselves in the way they release their shows. I think when you drop stuff all at once like that, you're just begging for stuff to fail. You know, you're begging for stuff to be forgotten and get shoved under the radar and go nowhere. But when you look at the other platforms, you have stuff like Severance, like The Boys. Every other platform's big, big shining star is something that's released week to week that builds up over time. It gets more and more popular that, you know, if they drop Severance all at once, it's probably going to be a decently successful, but not going to win Emmys. You know, it's not going to be like the big critical hit it is now, you know, and I think that Netflix has to just learn to adapt rather than blaming all their creators for their mismanagement of funds, you know? <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that because it's like, and especially too, if you cancel all these shows, if they don't get viewership within a week, people are going to be hesitant to watch shows on Netflix. Yeah, like, I, I feel that want, too. I don't want to be invested. Like, I mean, that '90s show holds up. Like, you can watch season one on its own. If that's all there is. If you, if like, if I was like, hey, I'm gonna go back and watch all of that '70s show. I'd watch all of that '70s show, and then I would go and watch the basically the one season there is of that '90s show, because I feel like it does tell somewhat of a full story. But if it didn't tell a full story and ended on a cliffhanger, then I'd probably never go back and watch it again. So I think honestly my if i gave any word of advice to anyone working on a netflix show is just don't end on a cliffhanger because at least people can look at your show as a full story yeah i don't know what to tell people because you you have to end like cliffhanger if you want people to talk about your show right but you don't you yeah. i don't know netflix is in a in a pickle here i just think they have to bite the bullet and and stop dropping everything all at once i think that'll at least help a little bit you know and they tried it a bit but they haven't tried it that much you know and there's been plenty of times where Netflix drops like a promising series, like a really cool sci-fi premise. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of mystery here. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of mystery here, but am I going to get invested in that mystery only to have Netflix pull the plug on me in the middle of it? You know, so I, I do tend to wait around and wait for season two revival of shows on Netflix before I even want to give them the time of day. And obviously that, that hurts the shows mm. because I'm not giving the time of day to the new shows. <laughs> it's like a circular logic that it is just mm. sinking Netflix. And I hope that they can change their ways a little bit. Yeah, I agree. All right, you want to jump over to uh, Disney Plus? I'm ready. What's on Disney Plus this week, Joe? All right, Disney Plus. You and I both watched the most recent episode of The Bad Batch. Uh, the one it's a Wednesday uh, morning release, and uh, this episode was called Faster. And this is kind of like a normal Star Wars animation thing. If you have a dark, heavy, very much adult-oriented episode, you can guarantee that the next episode is going to be very much fun and light and kid-centric, and that's exactly what it is. Essentially, uh, the premise of the episode is uh, Tech and Wrecker are, and Omega, I believe. Yeah, Tech, Wrecker, and Omega are off on this mission. And they have to help Sid with this whole thing. And she has this riot racer, Teo, who is hopefully going to win this riot race. It's just basically pod racing meets Mario Kart. And... Long story short, Teo doesn't win the race. Uh, Omega's like, what if we did a double or nothing? And everyone agrees to that. And then Teo, the racing droid, immediately blows up. And Tech's like, well, I've been studying film. I know how to beat them. And uh, spoiler alert, because it's a Star Wars Kids animated show, Tech wins the race after having never raced a riot race before against professional riot racers. <laughs> um 
it was just, it was fine. Like if you understand, like, hey, this is what Star Wars animation does. Like they go if if you expected another dark, heavy episode, I feel like you're probably going to be disappointed. But I went into this episode. I could have told you immediately after watching last week's episode that this episode was going to be kind of light and fun and not really that big of a deal. And if you go into that with that approach, it's a solid episode. It's fine. It's nothing that's going to make anyone a Star Wars fan. But there's nothing I can really talk bad about the episode with. Yeah, we didn't talk too much about last week's episode because I hadn't seen it yet, but I really liked it. It was a great, you know, talk about a dramatic kind of bottle episode where it talks about these side characters of the Star Wars animated universe. And yeah, adult oriented, I guess, for what this show is going for. And yeah, once if you've watched these shows before, you know that structure. They'll swing to you with like a crazy episode like that, and then they'll kind of go back to the fun kitty stuff. And I like the episode, though. I thought it was a good time. They've had, there's been some much, much worse kitty episodes of, of these yeah. various animated shows. You know, I think of some of the bad episodes of Clone Wars, and this is not even nearly that level. You know, I, I had a good time with the pod race. It was nice, fun little Star Wars adventure, and that's kind of what I like out of these animated shows. I like that the seasons are a bit longer. It's not necessarily about, like, this self-serious long story. It's, they, get, they have an open room for these kind of little adventures throughout the galaxy. And, yeah, as someone with plenty of nostalgia for the star wars prequels and phantom menace i had a good time watching this i love pod races you know and they're going through like this coruscantian looking place and it almost feels like the merging of all these kind of prequel prequel aesthetics so i had a good time watching it and yeah a nice little uh change of pace a nice little heart filler after the heartbreaker of last week so i had a, I had a good time with it joe i liked it more than i think you did but yeah i, I enjoy a nice little fuller episode here and there I wasn't a hater on it. I'm not going to lie. I fully expected a uh, dodgeball ending where essentially uh, Tech just sits in the back of the race and doesn't do anything and ends up losing. And everyone's like, Tech, we're, like, what are you doing? How did you lose the race? You were supposed to win. You didn't even try. And he's like, yeah, but I watched uh, the film and I bet every credit I had on, on that guy. And he ended up winning. And so uh, I, paid for, I paid Sid's debts and also I have X amount of credits for us to take home too that's kind of how i thought it was gonna go and then i saw tech doing stuff and winning and i'm like oh they're just going the simple tech wins okay tech wins you know he yeah i'll make an argument for tech later in the episode maybe but yeah. uh good good episode for tech this week you got to yeah. get out of the shell have a little adventure a little action for the for the techie yeah they i mean there there were some overall season stuff like it was very clear like they can't trust sid and i got to imagine there's going to be a moment where they need sid to do something and sid's going to let them down but in typical star wars fashion sid's going to come through at the end and save them yeah i'm wondering if uh this sid stuff is building up to a uh, arc by the end of the season where they move on from sid's location onto some other realm of the galaxy especially as they're building up this idea that maybe there's a bigger fight than we're yeah. in on right now yeah. you know there's some kind of Larger threat, maybe the Empire. We gotta, we gotta rise up together against that. They're getting closer and closer to all, you know, that rebellion kind of storyline that they might be building this towards. I don't know, you know. So I, I wonder if we're gonna move on from Sid before the end of the season. Uh, yeah. I mean, there were rumors uh, a while, like they had. There were people walking around Lucasfilm saw some updated 3D animated uh, Darth Maul models and things like that. So there are rumors going around that potentially. Uh, we could see the origin of Crimson Dawn and maybe Sid is technically actually working for Crimson Dawn and these missions that the Bad Batch is going on are as um, altruistic as they think they are but that's all speculation and hearsay. Darth Maul could, maybe doesn't appear in this season or this show at all. I have no idea but those are kind of the rumors and 
the way things are leaning, especially with all the stuff they're talking about, Sid, that's kind of where I think I'm going with this is they're going to end up accidentally working for Crimson Dawn and realize that they're on the wrong path. And I think they're going to go from Crimson Dawn and the show. I mean, I have no idea what their plan, long-term plan for the show is, but I feel like maybe the show could end with them officially joining the rebellion and maybe like meeting like someone we can look at and see as a member of the rebellion, whether that's Bail Organa or Saw Guerrero or someone like that. And that's just kind of how the show ends. It's them officially being members of the rebellion. And then because they're clones and aged out twice as fast, I would say they're just old age and die before Rebel starts. If you want to make a good bet watching this show, just anytime we're making Star Wars predictions, one of us is going to mention Crimson Dawn at some point. Yeah. You know, it's I feel like most... we predicted Crimson Dawn for like every show so far. You know, they're going to be in Kenobi. I know it. They're going to be in Boba Fett. I know it. They're definitely going to be in Boba Fett. They're going to be in Mandalorian season two, though, for sure. They're coming. Season two Mandalorian, they're going to be there. It's just apparently it was this big, massive, most important criminal underworld organization during the time of the Empire, and they just don't talk about them eventually they got to show up and be important so yeah we'll see one day they'll, they'll pay that off Joey. solo's gonna matter one day i promise yeah all right you want to move over to uh disney's other streaming service hulu i'm ready where are we going with hulu i don't know if i even opened hulu all right yeah i didn't watch anything we do have some news though uh meryl streep is joining a show i definitely want to check out and that is only murders in the building season three the uh, steve martin martin short and selena gomez show uh, there was a lot of talk about that, and I saw them on all the morning talk shows talking about Meryl Streep uh, joining that in season three. Uh, we also have uh, The Bachelor uh, is premiering tonight. I know there's Bachelor Nation is very strong, so I figured maybe if I mentioned The Bachelor, uh, hosted by Carson Palmer, uh, that somewhere in the YouTube Google algorithm it will hear me mention The Bachelor and put it on Bachelor Nation people's <laughs> YouTube recommendations. So if you're the a fan Bachelor of, on ABC, if you're a fan of The Bachelor on ABC, which also gets uploaded to Hulu, maybe our show will be on your algorithm and you will see us talk not talking about The Bachelor because I'll always probably be a week or two behind because it's a two-hour show that appears on the same day we do our podcast. Yeah, look, I've watched The Bachelor, but that's a lot of hours to catch up on, you know, and and that'd be a, a long day. Okay, I'm going to watch The Last of Us. I'm going to watch three and a half hours of The Bachelor. You know, you got to watch a super-sized really special, and, you know, we'll see. Maybe by the end of the season, we'll talk about it. Yeah, and to, and tomorrow uh, on the Hulu original, uh, my one of my first celebrity crushes, uh, Hillary Duff's show, How I Met Your Father, season two, debuts tomorrow. I'll say this, uh, Tristan, I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Were you much of a How I Met Your Mother fan at all? I was. I was a huge fan. Uh, I binged the whole show leading up to the last couple of seasons and then watched the last like few seasons week to week as they were going. And I was let down by the finale, but I didn't hate the finale. You know, I, I like saw what they were going for with it, and I, pre I thought they were going for something interesting, but didn't really nail it, you know. But I had not watched any of this new show yet. Uh, it starts off a little slow. Uh, but I will say, I think it's worth checking out. Uh, my girlfriend and I, this was kind of the first show we watched together. Um, and I like it. Uh, if I think if you're a How I Met Your Mother fan, definitely check it out, especially with season two dropping tomorrow. It's not very long. I want to say it's like 12 to 16 episodes for the first season. So, uh, And it's all on Hulu, so definitely check that out. 
Uh, I'd also recommend I was just scrolling through some of the newly added movies on Hulu, and there's one on there that I wanted to recommend from a few years ago called Predestination, starring Ethan Hawke. Uh, it's like a sci-fi, really low-budget sci-fi thriller. Ethan Hawke plays a hitman who travels throughout time to like hunt down various targets at different points in time, and there's all kinds of various twists of who's who and timeline twists and jumps around and things like that. So if you like a good sci-fi thriller with a ton of twists and you like Ethan Hawke, this is one that flew under the radar, but I thought it was a really fun watch and a great like mind blower. So if you're in for that kind of a ride, it's a good one. All right. And we have one final uh, show topic. Well, we got two, I guess, topics, but one final content topic. And that is a movie you watched on Peacock. It's not a Peacock original. It was originally in theaters. Uh, it looked like an all-time great Christmas movie, one I will have to watch soon. And that is the David Harbour starring Violent Night, uh, where basically it's Die Hard in a rich person's house with Santa Claus. And so what is your thoughts on Violent Night, Tristan? Uh, yeah, Violent Night. I You mentioned a Christmas classic, and... I've been waiting years for like a new Christmas classic, you know, especially in kind of like the horror genre, you know, Krampus came out and it was pretty good, but I don't know. It didn't necessarily like nail down as a, a staple that I watch every year or anything like that. You know, it was a fine movie, but halfway through this, halfway through this movie, I said, okay, I'm watching this every Christmas. This is going to be an annual watch for me. Uh, and David Harbour from Stranger Things, uh, he's Santa in this and it's a very violent, when they say a violent night, you know they're not they're not just saying that it's it's pretty brutal they use that r rating to the best of, of their ability here so there's some really great gore action and just really shocking imagery you know especially in the like santa claus being involved and we we do tend to be in a, a time where studio movies are not necessarily going all out on the crazy and the gore and the gonzo like they tend to play things a little bit safe so it was definitely shocking to see such a known actor be doing something so crazy as being in like a santa sleigh level movie here but what i think made this work so well is that it's not just david harbour and santa costume killing people there's actual genuine family heart here you know it's it's a real christmas movie there's family emotional heartstring moments and it's about a family having to like come together against adversity and all kinds of nice holiday movie uh touchings in there so you have the great mix of crazy action horror kind of things and you also have that heartfelt christmas message that i think is a, a tenant to some of the best Christmas classics. So yeah, I definitely think you'll like this show. It's Die Hard, but it's not it's not just Die Hard. Like the the, the trailer is very Die Hard, but I think they do a, a good mix of not making it feel like it's it's just that, you know. So I liked it a lot. I highly recommend it, uh, especially if you're a fan of David Harbor. But even if you're just a fan of like fun action movies, and I think you'll like this a lot. Definitely one of the best Christmas horror movies I've seen in a while if you can call it horror movies it's more yeah, of a christmas like action, action movie you know like a violent action movie yeah. <laughs> a christmas action movie you don't see those every day you know so i recommend it and i'm glad that it, it seems to be doing really well you know it, it made a lot of money when it was on rental so it seems like it's one of those movies that came out in theaters and was like immediately okay received made some money but not a lot and then once it came out to streaming it seems like it's actually doing pretty well for itself so maybe it'll be a violent night too you know straight to streaming who knows yeah, I think a lot of these Christmas movies, especially something like that, I feel like they think, oh, we got to release this, like, mid-December, but I think these movies would be better off releasing, like, mid-November. Um, just because I feel like it gives you more time to watch it and people talk about it, but it's like, 
they have like a week or so. I don't, I'm going to look up and see when this movie actually uh, released in theaters, but I feel like it was in mid-November, which really gives people like a week to watch it because once you get to that like week of Christmas, people are at Christmas parties, people are doing this, that, and the third, and it doesn't really just give them time to watch it. But I think I just think um, mid-November is a... when Christmas movies should... Oh, yeah, okay, I was, I was slightly off. It came out December 2nd. But and so that's right around. But I still think if they had given it an extra week or two, they would have been better. And they did have they had the perfect date down though, because they knew like okay, a couple of weeks after this, so it came out on like pay twenty bucks to watch like right Christmas week or something like that. Yeah. So they made a good amount of money off of that's that. Fair. But that's fair. Yeah, I definitely recommend it, and hope the fact that it's on this like mid to C tier platform that people don't really talk about or use doesn't make people not watch it. You know, so check it out. Yeah. All right, so we have one topic left, and that is our MVP of the week. That's our single entity that we think uh, was the most valuable player in streaming. Now, this could be an actor, this could be a director, this could be a character. You know, sometimes we chose a group of characters that are like one entity. Like, I remember when Hocus Pocus 2 dropped, we chose the Sanderson sisters as our MVP of the week. I think I have mine in mind. And Tristan, I talked to you a little bit before the show, but I'm curious if your opinion has changed. Del, who is your nominee for the MVP of the week? Yeah, going into this week, I thought for sure I'd be going for that Sanderson sisters dual nomination. You know, I'd be like, okay, we got Red and Kitty back. It's they're the icons of '70s show. I'm gonna go for the dual nomination here. Let's give it to, to both of the foremans. But you know, then uh, only only one player this week though, Joe, truly played valuably. You know, he he. He stepped up his role. He saw that he could uh, get out of his comfort zone and save the day, you know. And I think my MVP goes to Tech, who who saved the day. He saved the Bad Batch. He stepped out of his shell, you know. He he studied his films, little film nerd Tech, who was like, "Hey, I can do this stuff in the in the movies. I can do the movie stuff." And then he won, Joe. So look, I'm gonna go ahead and and give my tentative MVP nomination here to Tech because I'm really curious. Where you're gonna go? Because I'm, I'm thinking he went for the someone in the '90s show, but I, I don't know. He could have gone for something else. Could have given me a curveball here, but I think Tech saved the day for the for the bad batch here. So he's my nomination. All right. So I didn't go with that. I went with someone who broke records, not on one front but two. Someone who was the talk of two streaming services this week. Someone who was on, I believe, what could wind up being the best show of the year, and also on the most anticipated show of the year someone who was on starred in a show that currently was the second biggest hbo max premiere um second biggest hbo max premiere uh in a decade in the second episode had the largest increase from first to second episode in hbo history and also uh starred in a trailer for a different show on a different streaming service that got 84.5 million viewers, I believe, in the first 24 hours, and that is for The Mandalorian Season 3. And that is why my MVP of the week is Pedro Pascal. Yeah, I thought uh, that's a good good pick right there, uh, Joe, especially because of the coordination of Mandalorian and The Last of Us. And he had a pretty good episode here, The Last of Us. You know, he was able to get a lot of action in there and show off his action chops you know of course the mandalorian most you know 99 percent of the scenes it's not he's not like i know on the screen 
with the, his face off and stuff like that. I haven't so this is a different performance for him. So I'm really enjoying seeing him do that here. I think if you had seen the second episode, I would have made a case for Tess, the supporting character here, who has a pretty uh, it's a pretty prominent role throughout the second episode, played by Anna Torv, who I loved in Fringe, and it was cool. It's uh, been cool to see her back on the show in that role. So I thought about that argument, but then you hadn't seen the episode, so I'm gonna hold hold my case. And I think Pedro Pascal is a good win, though. I'm happy to give wins to The Last of Us. So any chance I can get, I'll, I'll swap sides. I love you. I love you, Tech. You almost won, but uh, you won the pot race, but you didn't win our hearts. So I'm gonna go ahead and give the win to Pedro Pascal. Yeah, I can see that. I think uh, Bad Batch is probably gonna win some episodes here and there, especially because I've heard things about this season, and I think there's gonna be strong, stronger episodes this season for the Bad Batch to win. But I think. When you're starring in two uh, shows on two different streaming services, and they're both kind of the marquee shows on both services, and you get um, one show is getting rave reviews, and the other one drops a trailer that's getting record number of viewership, uh, I think it's hard not to win MVP of the week that week. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm imagining it's going to be a Bad Batch versus Last of Us couple of weeks coming up, you know, uh, especially thinking about The Last of Us and some of the story beats they got coming. It's going to be an interesting season. You know, can't wait to get your thoughts on them as we go. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm definitely going to keep up with it. Uh, I'm going to try to watch some things on some other streaming services like Apple TV that we don't talk about. I'm going to look and dig as hard as I can and find something worth watching on Amazon Prime. It's just nothing ever looks worth a crap on there. I'm sorry, Amazon Prime. You need to step your game up. Please give us some recommendations. If anybody out there is, is actually watching and listening to this, let us know what you're watching on Prime, what you're watching on Hulu. We really want to cover these platforms, but the thing is, they, they just drop so much stuff, it's hard to even, like, pick out the gold from the, the haystack of mid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else you got to say before we sign off? Nope. Can't wait for next week. It should be a great discussion, you know? I'm looking forward to watching these shows keep going, but also looking forward to what well, well, you'll find in your in your search for treasure, Joe. Bring back some Bring back some good stuff for me. All right. I will try, and without further ado... Goodbye. Hey, thank you for watching the Movie Change Up podcast. We'd really appreciate if you liked, commented, subscribed, and shared us with anyone you think might be into what we're doing over here. Thank you. Have a nice day.